welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to read you a wicked little bedtime story. I'd like to start this week with a note from Stephen Bond, who wrote to me and asked if I would wish his wife and huge supporter of the show, Brittany Bond, a happy sixth anniversary. Happy anniversary, you two. Thank you so much, Brittany, for all you've done for me. Also, if you were looking for a reason to become a Patreon patron, I just released a 40-minute video on Patreon for my $5 and $10 patrons, so you'd have to join one of those tiers, where you can join me in wandering around Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Now, I am so excited for this week's story. I This is an old, dusty ghost story. You know how much I love those. I haven't had one on the show in a while, and it is full of horror and gore that would honestly fit right in with modern horror. Seriously, someone needs to adapt this into a movie or a ride, like a haunted house ride at a theme park or something. It's a slow burn in the beginning, but I promise you it goes full metal. It's awesome. It's probably one of my favorite old stories. It was written by Ralph Adams Cram, who was a prominent architect in the early 20th century. He only dabbled in writing horror fiction a few times, which is strange. Um, His other writing is completely not like this at all. He wrote a lot of books about being an Episcopalian, I think. But this story is one of his few horror stories, and it was published in 1895. Now, without further ado, this is In Cropsburg Keep. To the traveler from Innsbruck to Munich, up the lovely valley of the Silver Inn, many castles appear, one after another, each on its beetling cliff or gentle hill, appear and disappear, melting into the dark fir trees that grow so thickly on every side. Lanik, Lichtwer, Ratholtz, Trotsberg, Motzen, Kropsburg, gathering close around the entrance to the dark and wonderful Zillerthal. But to us, Tom Rendell and myself, there are two castles only, not the gorgeous and princely Ambras, nor the noble old Trotsburg with its crowded treasures of solemn and splendid medievalism, but little Motzen where eager hospitality forms the new life of a never-dead chivalry, and Cropsburg, ruined, tottering, blasted by fire and smitten with grievous years, a dead thing and haunted, full of strange legends and eloquent of mystery and tragedy. We were visiting the Von Seas at Motzen, and gaining our first wondering knowledge of the courtly, cordial castle life in the Tyrol, of the gentle and delicate hospitality of noble Austrians. Brick's leg had ceased to be but a mark on the map, 
and had become a place of rest and delight, a home for homeless wanderers on the face of Europe, while Schloss Motzen was a synonym for all that was gracious and kindly and beautiful in life. The days moved on in a golden round of riding and driving and shooting down to Landel and Thiersi for Chamois, across the river to the magic Akensik, up the Zillerthal across the Schmerner Jok, even to the railway station at Steinek, and in the evenings, after the late dinners in the upper hall, where the sleepy hounds leaned against our chairs, looking up at us with suppliant eyes, in the evenings when the fire was dying away, in the hooded fireplace in the library. Stories. Stories and legends and fairy tales, while the stiff old portraits changed countenance constantly under the flickering firelight, and the sound of the drifting in came softly across the meadows far below. If I ever tell the story of Schloss Motzen, then will be the time to paint the too inadequate picture of this fair oasis in the desert of travel and tourists and hotels. But just now, it is Cropsburg the Silent that is of greater importance, for it was only in Motzen that the story was told by Fräulein E., the gold-haired niece of Frau von C., one hot evening in July, when we were sitting in the great west window of the drawing room, after a long ride up the Stalenthal. All the windows were open to catch the faint wind, and we had sat for a long time watching the Otzethaler Alps turn rose color over distant Innsbruck, then deep into violet as the sun went down and the white mists rose slowly until Lichtwer and Lanark and Kropsberg rose like craggy islands in a silver sea. And this is the story as Fräulein E. told it to us. The story of Kropsberg Keep. A great many years ago, soon after my grandfather died, and Motzen came to us when I was a little girl, and so young that I remember nothing of the affair except as something dreadful that frightened me very much. Two men who had studied painting with my grandfather came down to Brixleg from Munich, partly to paint and partly to amuse themselves. Ghost hunting, as they said, for they were very sensible young men and prided themselves on it laughing at all kinds of superstition, and particularly at that form which believed in ghosts and feared them. They had never seen a real ghost, you know, and they belonged to a certain set of people who believed nothing they had not seen themselves, which always seemed to me very conceited. Well, they knew that we had lots of beautiful castles here in the lower valley, and they assumed, and rightly, that every castle has at least one ghost story connected with it. So they chose this as their hunting ground. Only the game they sought was ghosts, not chamois. 
Their plan was to visit every place that was supposed to be haunted, and to meet every reputed ghost and prove that it really was no ghost at all. There was a little inn down in the village then, kept by an old man named Peter Roskopf, and the two men made this their headquarters. The very first night they began to draw from the old innkeeper all that he knew of legends and ghost stories connected with Brixleg and its castles. And as he was a most garrulous old gentleman, he filled them with the wildest delight by his stories of the ghosts of the castles about the mouth of Zillerthal. Of course, the old man believed every word he said, and you can imagine his horror and amazement when... After telling his guests the particularly blood-curdling story of Cropsburg and its haunted keep, the elder of the two boys, whose surname I have forgotten, but whose Christian name was Rupert, calmly said, Your story is most satisfactory. We will sleep in Cropsburg keep tomorrow night, and you must provide us with all that we may need to make ourselves comfortable. The old man nearly fell into the fire. What for a blockhead are you? He cried with big eyes. The keep is haunted by Count Albert's ghost, I tell you. That is why we are going there tomorrow night. We wish to make the acquaintance of Count Albert. But there was a man stayed there once, and in the morning he was dead. Very silly of him. There are two of us, and we carry revolvers. But it is a ghost, I tell you! Almost screamed the innkeeper. Are ghosts afraid of firearms? Whether they are or not, we are not afraid of them. Here the younger boy broke in. His name was Otto von Kleist. I remember the name, for I had a music teacher once by that name. He abused the poor old man shamefully, told him that they were going to spend the night in Cropsburg in spite of Count Albert and Peter Roskopf, and that he might as well make the most of it and earn his money with cheerfulness. In a word, they finally bullied the old fellow into submission, and when the morning came, he set about preparing for the suicide, as he considered it, with sighs and mutterings and ominous shakings of the head. You know the condition of the castle now. Nothing but scorched walls and crumbling piles of fallen masonry. Well, at the time I tell you of, the keep was still partially preserved. It was finally burned out only a few years ago by some wicked boys who came over from Yanbach to have a good time. But when the ghost hunters came, though the two lower floors had fallen into the crypt, the third floor remained. The peasants said it could not fall, but it would stay until the Day of Judgment, because it was the room above the wicked Count Albert, sat watching the flames destroy the great castle and his imprisoned guests, and where he finally hung himself in a suit of armor that had once belonged to his medieval ancestor, the first Count Cropsburg. No one dared touch him, and so he hung there for twelve years, 
and all the time, venturesome boys and daring men used to creep up the turret steps and stare awfully through the chinks in the door at the ghostly mass of steel that held within itself the body of a murderer and suicide, slowly returning to the dust from which it was made. Finally, it disappeared. None knew whither, and for another dozen years, the room stood empty, but for the old furniture and the rotten hangings. So, when the two men climbed the stairway to the haunted room, they found a very different state of things from what exists now. The room was absolutely as it was left the night Count Albert burned the castle, except that all trace of the suspended suit of armor and its ghastly contents had vanished. No one had dared to cross the threshold, and I suppose that for forty years no living thing had entered that dreadful room. On one side stood a vast canopied bed of black wood, the damask hangings of which were covered with mold and mildew. All the clothing of the bed was in perfect order, and on it lay a book, open and face downward. The only other furniture in the room consisted of several old chairs, a carved oak chest, and a big inlaid table covered with books and papers, and on one corner two or three bottles with dark solid sediment at the bottom, and a glass, also dark with the dregs of wine that had been poured out almost half a century before. The tapestry on the walls was green with mold, but hardly torn or otherwise defaced, for although the heavy dust of forty years lay on everything, the room had been preserved from further harm. No spider web was to be seen, no trace of nibbling mice, not even a dead moth or fly on the sills of the diamond-paned windows. Life seemed to have shunned the room utterly and finally. The men looked at the room curiously, and I am sure not without some feelings of awe and unacknowledged fear, but whatever they may have felt of instinctive shrinking, they said nothing, and quickly set to work to make the room passably inhabitable. They decided to touch nothing that had not absolutely to be changed, and therefore they made for themselves a bed in one corner with the mattress and linen from the inn. In the great fireplace, they piled a lot of wood on the caked ashes of a fire dead for forty years, turned the old chest into a table, and laid out on it all their arrangements for the evening's amusement. Food, two or three bottles of wine, pipes and tobacco, and the chessboard that was their inseparable traveling companion. All this they did themselves. The innkeeper would not even come within the walls of the outer court. He insisted that he had washed his hands of the whole affair. The silly dunderheads might go to their death in their own way, 
He would not aid and abet them. One of the stable boys brought the basket of food and the wood and the bed up the winding stone stairs. To be sure, but neither money nor prayers nor threats would bring him within the walls of the accursed place. And he stared fearfully at the hare-brained boys as they worked around the dead old room, preparing for the night that was coming fast. At length, everything was in readiness, and after a final visit to the inn for dinner, Rupert and Otto started at sunset for the keep. Half the village went with them, for Peter Roskopf had babbled the whole story to an open-mouthed crowd of wandering men and women. As to an execution, the awe-struck crowd followed the two boys dumbly, curious to see if they surely would put their plan into execution. But none went farther than the outer doorway of the stairs, for it was already growing twilight. In absolute silence, they watched the two foolhardy youths with their lives in their hands enter the terrible keep. Standing like a tower in the midst of piles of stones that had once formed walls, joining it with the mass of the castle beyond. When a moment later, a light showed itself in the high windows above. They sighed resignedly and went their ways, to wait stolidly until morning should come and prove the truth of their fears and warnings. In the meantime, the ghost hunters built a huge fire, lighted their many candles, and sat down to await developments. Rupert afterwards told my uncle that they really felt no fear whatsoever, only a contemptuous curiosity, and they ate their supper with good appetite and an unusual relish. It was a long evening. They played many games of chess, waiting for midnight. Hour passed after hour, and nothing occurred to interrupt the monotony of the evening. Ten, eleven came and went. It was almost midnight. They piled more wood into the fireplace, lighted new candles, looked to their pistols, and waited. The clocks in the village struck twelve, the sound coming muffled through the high, deep, embrasured windows. Nothing happened. Nothing to break the heavy silence. And with a feeling of disappointed relief. They looked at each other and acknowledged that they had met another rebuff. Finally, they decided that there was no use in sitting up and boring themselves any longer. They had much better rest. So, Otto threw himself down on the mattress, falling almost immediately asleep. Rupert sat a little longer, smoking and watching the stars creep along behind the shattered glass and the bent leads of the lofty windows, watching the fire fall together and the strange shadows move mysteriously on the moldering walls. The iron hook and the oak beam that crossed the ceiling midway fascinated him, not with fear, but morbidly. So, it was from that hook that for twelve years, 
12 long years of changing summer and winter. The body of Count Albert, murderer and suicide, hung in its strange casings of medieval steel, moving a little at first and turning gently while the fire died out on the hearth, while the ruins of the castle grew cold and horrified peasants sought for the bodies of the score of gay, reckless, wicked guests whom Count Albert had gathered in Cropsburg for a last debauch, gathered to their terrible and untimely death. What a strange and fiendish idea it was. The young, handsome noble who had ruined himself and his family in the society of the splendid debauchees, gathering them all together, men and women who had known only love and pleasure for a glorious and awful riot of luxury, and then, when they were all dancing in the great ballroom, locking the doors and burning the whole castle about them, the while he sat in the great keep, listening to their screams of agonized fear, watching the fire sweep from wing to wing until the whole mighty mass was one enormous and awful pyre, and then, clothing himself in his great-great-grandfather's armor, hanging himself in the midst of the ruins of what had been a proud and noble castle. So ended a great family, a great But that was forty years ago. He was growing drowsy. The light flickered and flared in the fireplace. One by one, the candles went out. The shadows grew thick in the room. Why did that great iron hook? stand out so plainly? Why did that dark shadow dance and quiver so mockingly behind it? Why? But he ceased to wonder at anything. He was asleep. It seemed to him that he woke almost immediately. The fire still burned, though low and fitfully on the hearth. Otto was sleeping, breathing quietly and regularly. The shadows had gathered close around him, thick and murky, with every passing moment the light died in the fireplace. He felt stiff with cold. In the utter silence, he heard the clock in the village strike two. He shivered with a sudden and irresistible feeling of fear and abruptly turned and looked towards the hook in the ceiling. Yes, it was there. Lai knew that it would be. It seemed quite natural. He would have been disappointed had he seen nothing. But now he knew the story was true knew that he was wrong, and that the dead do sometimes return to earth. For there, in the fast, deepening shadow, hung the black 
mass of wrought steel, turning a little now and then, with the light flickering on the tarnished and rusty metal. He watched it quietly. He hardly felt afraid. It was rather a sentiment of sadness and fatality that filled him, of gloomy forebodings of something unknown, unimaginable. He sat and watched the thing disappear in the gathering dark, his hand on his pistol as it lay by him on the great chest. There was no sound but the regular breathing of the sleeping boy on the mattress. grown absolutely dark. A bat fluttered against the broken glass at the window. He wondered if he was growing mad, for he hesitated to acknowledge it to himself. He heard music. Far, curious music. A strange and luxurious dance. Very faint, very vague, but unmistakable. Like a flash of lightning came a jagged line of fire down the blank wall opposite him. A line that remained, that grew wider, that let a pale, cold light into the room, showing him now all its details. The empty fireplace, where a thin smoke rose in a spiral from a bit of charred wood. The mass of the great bed, and in the very middle, black against the curious brightness. The armored man, or ghost or devil, standing, not suspended, beneath the rusty hook. And with the rending of the wall, the music grew more distinct, though sounding still very, very far away. Count Albert raised his mailed hand and beckoned to him then turned and stood in the riven wall. Without a word, Rupert rose and followed him, his pistol in hand. Count Albert passed through the mighty wall and disappeared in the unearthly light. Rupert followed mechanically. He felt the crushing of the mortar beneath his feet the roughness of the jagged wall where he rested his hand to steady himself. The keep rose absolutely isolated among the remains. Yet, on passing through the wall, Rupert found himself in a long, uneven corridor, the floor of which was warped and sagging, while the walls were covered on one side with big, faded portraits of an inferior quality like those in the corridor that connects the Pitti and Uffizi in Florence. Before him moved the figure of Count Albert, a black silhouette in the ever-increasing light. And always, the music grew stronger and stranger, a mad, evil, seductive dance that bewitched even while it disgusted in a final blaze of vivid, intolerable light, in a burst of hellish music that might have come from bedlam, 
Rupert stepped from the corridor into a vast and curious room where at first he saw nothing, distinguished nothing but a mad, seething whirl of sweeping figures, white in a white room under a white light. Count Albert standing before him, the only dark object to be seen. As his eyes grew accustomed to the fearful brightness, he knew that he was looking on a dance, such as the damned might see in hell, but such as no living man had ever seen before. Around the long, narrow hall, under the fearful light that came from nowhere, but was omnipresent, swept a rushing stream of unspeakable horrors, dancing insanely, laughing, gibbering hideously, the dead of forty years, white, polished skeletons, bare of flesh and vesture, skeletons clothed in the dreadful rags of dried and rattling sinews, the tags of tattering grave clothes, flaunting behind them. These were the dead of many years ago. Then, the dead of more recent times, with yellow bones showing only here and there, the long and insecure hair of their hideous heads writhing in the beating air. Then, green and gray horrors, bloated and shapeless, stained with earth or dripping with spattering water, and here and there, white, beautiful things, like chiseled ivory, the dead of yesterday, locked, it may be, in the mummy arms of rattling skeletons. Round and round the cursed room, a swaying, swirling maelstrom of death, while the air grew thick with miasma, the floor foul with shreds of shrouds and yellow parchment, clattering bones and wisps of tangled hair, and in the very midst of this ring of death, a sight not for words nor for thought, a sight to blast forever the mind of the man who looked upon it, a leaping, writhing dance of Count Albert's victims, the score of beautiful women and reckless men who danced to their awful death while the castle burned around them, charred and shapeless now, a living charnel house of nameless horror. Count Albert, who had stood silent and gloomy, watching the dance of the dead, turned to Rupert, and for the first time, spoke. We are ready for you now. Dance. A prancing horror, dead some dozen years, perhaps flaunted from the rushing river of the dead and leered at Rupert with eyeless skull. Dance. Rupert stood frozen, motionless, Dance. His hard lips moved. Not if the devil came from hell to make me. 
Count Albert swept his vast two-handed sword into the fetid air while the tide of corruption paused its swirling and swept down on Rupert with gibbering grins. The room and the howling dead and the black portents before him circled dizzily around as with a last effort of departing consciousness he drew his pistol and fired full in the face of Count Albert. Perfect silence. Perfect darkness. Not a breath. Not a sound. The dead stillness of a long, sealed tomb. Rupert lay on his back, stunned, helpless, his pistol clenched in his frozen hand, a smell of powder in the black air. Where was he? Dead? In hell? He reached his hand out cautiously. It fell on dusty boards. Outside, far away, a clock struck three. Had he dreamed? Of course, but how ghastly a dream. With chattering teeth, he called softly, Otto! There was no reply, and none when he called again. Otto. And again. Otto. Otto. He staggered weakly Otto. to his feet, groping for matches and candles. A panic of abject terror came on him. The matches were gone. He turned towards the fireplace. A single coal glowed in the white ashes. He swept a mass of papers and dusty books from the table, and with trembling hands cowered over the embers until he succeeded in lighting the dry tinder. Then he piled the old books on the blaze and looked fearfully around. No. It was gone. God for that. The hook was empty. But why did Otto sleep so soundly? Why did he not awake? He stepped unsteadily across the room in the flaring light of the burning books and knelt by the mattress. So they found him in the morning, when no one came to the inn from Cropsburg Keep, and the quaking Peter Roskopf arranged a relief party, found him kneeling beside the mattress where Otto lay, shot in the throat and quite dead. Thanks for listening, and 
thank you to my author, even though you're dead. Um, he could be here. He could hear me. You know, I don't know. Um, so if you like the show, uh, thank you, first of all. And thank you for any of my new listeners. You can follow the show on social media if you'd like. It's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Scary to Sleep. The Facebook is a group, so you do have to answer a couple questions to join. It's just to keep out bots and things. Feel free to just say podcast, podcast. Um there's also a pod, a, a, a spinoff group called scary to eat where we talk about food. That one's pretty fun. It's a small little group. Um, and, uh, what else? Is there anywhere else you need to find me or follow me? I have a few guest spots coming up. They're not out yet. So I will let you know about that again, the Patreon, that 40 minute video came out. It was my first vlog ever. So it's rough. <laughs> it's rough. I talk about it a lot in the video. I'm not but it was a lot of fun, and honestly, when I was watching it back to make sure it was all cool, um, I found it pretty soothing, and that's rare because I don't normally find my own voice. I think that's pretty common. You don't find your own voice very soothing. You find other people's very soothing. But um, yeah, I thought it was... A, I'm pretty proud of myself, so go check it out. Like I said, five $10 patrons, special little treat just for you. It's an unlisted YouTube link. I mentioned this in the video, but in case you're kind of on the fence, um, if you want to join Patreon, but you're like, I don't want to watch videos on Patreon, it's an unlisted YouTube link. So what you can do is um, open it up, start it on an app, and then, you know, do the thing where you open it on your TV. If you want to watch it on TV, it's what I do with all of the pay people I follow on Patreon. And I can watch it on the big screen and it's great. What else? Um, oh, I baked a couple times this week. I had a sweet tooth this week. And I baked nothing from scratch this week. It was too, I'm not even talking about them. It's just like, uh, easy stuff. Easy stuff is great. I have nothing against easy stuff, but it was just nothing, you know, that I, that you don't know about. Um, I'm sure you all know about, uh, refrigerator cinnamon rolls and, uh, Pillsbury cinnamon rolls and box brownies, which are the two things I made this week. Um, they were great. It's just, you know, you know about them already. I'm not going to talk about them. Um... I have a lot going on that I'm going to be able to announce in a couple weeks that is very exciting. No, stop. I know you're scared. It's not going to be like the last time. I promise this is not going to be me locking myself in some weird cage um, for a year and a half. That's not what's going to happen. This is completely different and it's very exciting. And I think some of you are going to be like real stoked for me. Like I think a lot of you are going to be really stoked. Um, I wish I could talk about it. I probably can't not talk about it, but until I don't like talking about things until all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted. So you'll just have to wait. Um, I don't have much else to talk about. It's pretty late. It's after 1am. It's not super late, but it's late and I'm tired. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I hope that was enough rambling. I never know how much you want, how much rambling you want there it was. Okay. Um, I'm going to do Patreon shoutouts next week because I lost my place. Um, uh, patrons, if you saw, I'm sure you saw cause I put out a thing, but stickers are finally in. I went and picked them up. It's great. They look, they're the best ones I've gotten so far. I'm actually not even mad. They took so long this time because it, they're the red finally, and this is the first time I've ever seen the red look like I want it to. So excited about those. Those will be going out soon. Um, since I just picked them up yesterday in the evening, 
and today I was editing all day. Um, so yes, expect those. Um, I think that's it. I feel like I'm forgetting something and I don't know what it is. Go drink water. Um, merch is coming out soon. There is a merch site currently. You can go to it. It's just there's not much on it yet. I've changed websites for reasons. I think I said that last time. Um, there's drink drinking gla- glasses and some, some drinkware on there. Uh, really excited because I can finally have, this is the first time I've had a website that has a black mug that I could put the Scare You to Sleep logo on. I've been just doing white mug. Thank you so much for everybody who's bought white mugs. I have a white mug, um, but the black one looks so fucking cool. Um, so there is a link in my link tree to those those things that are on the current um, merch site, but I, I'm, I'm, I will be adding shirts and sweatshirts and yoga pants and all that shit, cool shit again. I promise. I'm excited to get some. I haven't gotten my own merch in quite a long time, and I want yoga pants to wear to the gym with my logo on them. I think that'd be pretty neat. I don't know if I'm going to put the logo. I think I'm going to try, I don't know, I'm going to try to get it creative. Yeah, we'll figure it out together. Um, If you have any ideas, if you have anything specific that you'd like to see in merch, like a phrase that I say that I can't remember myself or art for a certain episode I'm not making any promises but if I get like an overwhelming response of like I really want a sweatshirt that has limes on it or I need I will die if I don't get a laptop case that says drink your water um yeah so let me know let me know what what you would like to see it's for you so tell me let me know um i think that's it i think that's good i really hope you loved this story this week because i fucking love this story i thought it was it's just so fucking cool like the guy and then he like burns down the party and he locks them all in and then he's like he's just hanging there rotting inside of his armor for 12 years and people go like look at him through a window like that's some old-timey shit this is one reason i like old-timey stories is like before the like industrial era there was still like stuff sitting around like of course a lot of these old castles i lisped castles had been looted um but i from reading a lot of these older stories you'll find like stuff in them that they mention even if it's a fictional story you know some stuff is based in fact and they'll talk about it casually like yeah there's just castles sitting around with stuff still in them and i don't know if that's as much the case anymore um so yeah i think that's so fucking cool like uh i mean this story was sad but you know what i mean i think it's cool like i don't know if anyone's ever started to actually read uh les miserables by victor hugo if i meant to pronounce that then no i didn't um sorry france um but (laughs) i uh in the beginning he talks about how um victor hugo talks about how he visited notre dame one time up in the bell tower or up in some part of notre dame i really think this was les mis it was not hunchback of notre dame getting my old classics mixed up maybe but i'm pretty sure it was les mis uh victor hugo and he talks about how he saw a marking in this part of, of of notre dame cathedral that they were working on at the time in the 1800s like they were working on it and repairing it and they took down a wall or something and there were like these markings on the wall from the time when the wall was built like in the 
I don't really know exactly when uh, Notre Dame Cathedral was built, but it was built a long time ago. And he talks about how like amazing it was to see like something so old. And it's like, and now that's so old. It's just old on old. And I love old. Okay. It's time to go to bed. I'm saying things like old on old. All right. Go drink some water. Go get some sleep and sweet dreams.